Last night at our house, a, a bowl got broken. I don't know, what, I don't, it's not really a bowl. It's, it's one of those ceramic things and you put the wax in there and then you plug it in and it, it melts the wax and makes everything smell good, you know. And, uh, but that thing got broken. And so once it got broken, you know what we did with it? We threw it away. That's what you do with broken stuff, right? I mean, once it's broken, you can't really use it anymore, so what you do is throw it away. Unless you're God. The amazing thing is that God doesn't throw away the broken things. God chooses to use the broken things. And the reason that's such good news is because what we've learned the last couple of weeks is that you and I are broken. But in spite of our brokenness, as a matter of fact, not only in spite of our brokenness, but because of our brokenness, God can use us for his glory. That's what I want us to think together about this morning, the fact that God uses our brokenness. God uses our brokenness. Look with me in John chapter 4, if you will. And we're going, to, uh, we're going to think together about how God uses our brokenness. It's a great story here, and you're familiar with the story. We're not going to take a long time on some of, the, uh, some of the parts that you're familiar with. I want to highlight some of the things that, that maybe sometimes we overlook a little bit too quickly as uh, we are introduced again to the, the, the person we've always called the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, all right? In John chapter four, let's start at verse seven. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She stressed two things in her question, though. She said, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? She, she emphasized two things that were obvious, and she didn't have to say those two things, unless she was stressing them to make her point. Why would you, a Jew, come to me, a Samaritan, and on top of that, why would you, a man, ask something of me, a woman? I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking something of me? You see, she's not used to that because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans for historical reasons that we won't go into this morning. Jews... Jews saw Samaritans kind of like half-breeds. You're sort of kind of in God's camp, but not really. You're sort of kind of related to Jews, but not really. They, and, 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 and so they, they didn't trust one another. And she says, hey, you're a Jew. You're, you're not supposed to like me. On top of that, I'm only a woman. Don't you get mad at me. I'm putting it in historical context. In historical context, that would have been her reaction. I'm only a woman. Why are you talking to me? 
She was surprised by that. But the fact that she was surprised tells us something about the way in which she lived. And it also tells us something about Jesus because Jesus broke the norms. While other Jewish men probably would not have acknowledged her presence, Jesus had a personal conversation with her. You know, it's so easy for us to see people who look different than we do, who talk differently than we do, who have a different cultural background than we do, and for us to say, okay, they've got their life, I've got my life, never the twain shall meet. But Jesus had a way of shattering all of that. Jesus had a way of sitting down and communicating with people who grew up differently than he did, who looked different than he did. He had a way of communicating and caring and making personal contact with those that most of society would have set aside. And that is the case here. Jesus connects with this woman and she says, wow, it's a, I'm amazed that, that you would talk to me. And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He says, oh, lady, you don't even know the half of it. This is not just a nice guy being nice to you. He said, if you understood who I was, you would be, you would be uh, begging me for more than what I asked of you. I just asked of you a cup of water. If you knew who I was, you'd be begging me for living water that would change your life and change eternity for you. If we jump down a little ways here to, to verse 16, he said to her, now go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, that's not the way things are done in our church. That's not what he said, is it? He said, you've well said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband this you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. He knew her story. But understand, he knew her story before the encounter took place. He took time to connect with her, having already known her story. That's why he wasn't showing off here. He was helping her to understand that he knew her and cared anyway. So she says, oh, he's not my husband. He says, I know he's not your husband. Neither was Sam before him and Joe and Ted and Fred and Tom. And none of those guys are your husbands anymore. He says, I know your story. But I still stopped to talk to you. She basically says, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman, and I'm broken. And he says, I knew all that before you showed up. Let's jump on down again to verse 28. Fast forward to verse 28. This is where it gets fun. Look at this. 
So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. You see, when, when she realized that he loved her in spite of her brokenness, she had to go tell somebody. If you remember earlier, he said, go get your husband and y'all come back here. She said, oh, I don't have a husband. So what did she do? She went and she didn't just go get the man she was living with. She went and got everybody she could find. Y'all, come on, I found somebody. You have got to meet this man. You see, something changed in her. God began to use her brokenness. And now she had a story to tell. Because she said, guys, he knows everything about me. He knows my story. She had a story to tell. I want you to come and meet the man who knew me and still cared about me anyway. But you know, the story even gets cooler than that. Fast forward again and look at verse 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things I have done. Many believed because she told her story. She had a story to tell because she was broken. And that's what I want us to see this, this morning is that, that God uses our brokenness. I've had, as, uh, as I started the series, I've had uh, probably three or four different people point my direction to a, a Japanese uh, technique, a Japanese art of repairing broken bowls. It's, the, the practice is probably over five, uh, 400 years old. It's a practice called kintsugi. And with kintsugi, when, when, a, when the bowl breaks, and, and instead of just gluing it back together or, or trying to cover up the cracks, instead they make a lacquer out of gold or silver or even platinum. And they intentionally let the beauty of the lacquer show in the cracks. When they, when they repair the broken bowl, the idea is to, to fix it in a way that highlights the damages instead of trying to hide them. You see, I think that's one way, uh, one picture, if you will, of how God uses us. Every one of us is broken. Stop thinking that you're not worthy to be used by God. Because if brokenness disqualified someone from being used by God, then there would be no one to be used by God. And this is how he does. He doesn't hide our weaknesses. He doesn't hide 
our brokenness. He doesn't tell us to be quiet about our story. He tells us, tell the, your story. Let's show the world that you were broken, but I am repairing you. And when you tell the world, look at my story, how I was broken and God is repairing me, then one major thing happens, which is the primary purpose of our existence. That primary purpose of our existence is to give God glory. And you see, when you are broken and you tell your story, then the God who is repairing you receives the glory. That's the goal. Ashley shared with me a song that I had never heard of before this week as we talked about the Japanese bowls. She found a, a song by a guy named Peter Meyer. And these are the words of the song. I'm like one of those Japanese bowls that were made long ago. I have some cracks in me. They've been filled with gold. That's, why they that's what they used back then when they had a bowl to mend. It did not hide the cracks. It made them shine instead. So now every old scar shows from every time I broke. And anyone's eyes can see I'm not what I used to be. But in a collector's hand, all these jagged lines make me more beautiful and worth a much higher price. I'm like one of those Japanese bowls I was made long ago. I have some cracks, you can see. See how they shine of gold. Beloved, God knows your weaknesses. He knows the broken places of your life. He doesn't need you to hide them from him. He knew they were going to be broken before they were broken. The lady didn't come and say, Jesus, I, I've messed up five marriages and now I'm living with somebody. She didn't tell him. He knew. God knows the broken parts of our lives. We don't have to carry around the burden of trying to hide them from him. We can't hide them from him. Instead, what we can do is just be real with God. And the reason it's safe to do that is because he loves us in spite of our brokenness. How do you know that? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take care of your brokenness. He loves you in spite of your brokenness. And because he loves you, he can use you. He wants to use you. In Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He knows we're dust, man. We're all messed up clay pots. We're all cracked. He gets it. And he loves us in spite of that. Don't feel like we got to hide it or pretend. Do you remember the woman caught in adultery? The Pharisees bring her to Jesus and they think they've got a way to trip him up. They think they're going to they're gonna, uh, put him in a position where either he shows no compassion 
or he says break the law. Either way, he's, he's, he's not going to win in this situation, they think in their minds. So they bring the woman who's caught in adultery to him. And instead of responding to them right away, do you remember what Jesus did? He knelt down and he wrote something in the sand. We don't know what he wrote in the sand. Some have speculated that he wrote the names of all the Pharisees' girlfriends that they weren't supposed to be having. We don't know that. Maybe he knelt down and he began to write some of the sins of some of the men who were there. We don't know. What we do know is after he wrote for a little while, he said, now, whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first rock. And the Bible says that they turned and walked away, the oldest ones first. I think that's because the oldest ones were wise enough to realize that they couldn't hide their sin and they realized that it was time for them to leave this scene. Perhaps the younger ones were still working, trying to figure out some smart way to get through this thing. And, but eventually they all turned and walked away. And then it says in John 8, in, chapter, in verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He says, go and sin no more. We've heard that story all our lives. Let me ask you a question. What was that woman's name? We don't know. We have always called her by her biggest mistake. We have called her the woman caught in adultery. We labeled her by her brokenness. Maybe that's because that's all we knew about her. But we've labeled her by, her by her lowest moment, her worst choice, her brokenness. Stephen Furtick recently wrote a book called Unqualified, subtitle, How God Uses Broken People to Do Big Things. Listen to his comments about the woman that we call the woman caught in adultery. It's fascinating to me about this woman that we don't even know her name. We always call her the woman caught in adultery. Talk about a label. She is forever defined by her biggest blunder, at least to us. But that's not how Jesus saw her that day. It's not what God named her. I think when she got to heaven, let me... Let me try that again. I think when we get to heaven, we will ask to see the person named the woman caught in adultery. And people will say, who? There's no one here by that name. Oh, wait. Do you mean the person named the woman Jesus forgave? 
The person we like to call the woman who went and sinned no more, she's right over there. She goes by a different name now. You see, we label one another by our brokenness. But God sees that which He can use for His glory. He sees one He loves. He sees one that is reparable, if that's such a word. He can fix us. He can repair us. He sees one that he can use to tell a story. He loves you so much he chooses not to hide your history or cover your cracks, deny your damage, or pretend you have no pain. It would be good news if I told you that he can use you in spite of your brokenness, But I have even better news. He doesn't just use you in spite of your brokenness. He uses you because of your brokenness. Your brokenness tells a story that brings him glory. Being messed up does not disqualify you from service to the king. In fact, being messed up is one of the prerequisites for being a person he can use for great things. You don't believe me? Look at the heroes in the Bible. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob lied. Leah was ugly. I'm sorry, it's in there. It's the honest truth. (laughs) Leah was ugly. Joseph was cocky and obnoxious. Moses was a murderer who couldn't talk right. Miriam was a complainer. Aaron was a people pleaser. Eli was an overly permissive dad. Rebecca was a manipulative mom. Hosea had a cheating wife. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Jake Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried too much. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Mary Magdalene was demon possessed. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul killed Christians. Timothy was too young and Lazarus was dead. All of us have weaknesses, have brokenness. Some of those things are bad decisions that we made in the past. Some of those things are bad decisions that have us captured and we continue to make them. Some of those things are not decisions at all, but sad events in our lives that have changed us, that have hurt us, that have brought us pain. For whatever reason, we all are hurting. We're all broken in some way. But your brokenness is part of the story of God's work in your life. The lady at the well told her story and people got saved. I'm going to challenge you to tell your story. You can't hide your brokenness from God. Don't hide it from others. Use it to bring God glory as you tell the story. I'm messed up, but God loves me anyway. And he's working on me, and he can work on you too. That is our primary purpose for existence. That lady was a broken sinner who became a powerful force in the kingdom of God because she let Jesus turn her brokenness into something beautiful that she could then show to others so they would turn to him 
with their brokenness. Jesus changed her life, and she couldn't wait to let people know that. When we get to know Jesus, he changes us, and our lives are never the same. Wayne Watson sang a song many years ago. It's a song that touched, it actually affected me so deeply, it changed my theology as a teenager. And not only did it change me, but hundreds, probably thousands of others, based on an old poem that had been re-edited to fit his song. The original poem was written by Myra Brooks Welch. Let me just finish with this poem. It was battered and scarred. And the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while <coughs> to, waste <coughs> to waste much time on that old violin. But he held it up with a smile. He said, it sure ain't much. But it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it too. Who'll start the bid on this old violin? Just one more and we'll be through. And then he cried out, one, give me one dollar. Who'll make it two? Only two dollars? Who'll make it three? Three dollars twice? Well, that's a good price, but who's got a bid for me? Raise up your hand. Don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four? Just one dollar more to bid on this old violin. Well, the air was hot and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. From the back of the crowd, an old gray-haired man came forward and he picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin and he tightened up the strings. And then he played out a melody, pure and sweet, sweeter than the angels sing. And when the music stopped, the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, now what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with a bow. He cried out, 1,000. Who'll make it two? Only 2,000? Who'll make it three? 3,000 twice? Well, that's a good price, but who's got a bid for me? And the people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. And the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. You know, there's many a man with his life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin. He's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. Oh, but when the master comes and that old foolish crowd, they never understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought just by the touch of the master's hand. And with that, I end the series where we began. And our lives are not very fancy. There's not much to them. Just normal, everyday dirt. But when we're broken... God has a way of letting us and the world around us see the beauty 
inside. There is beauty in our brokenness. I call you today to be honest with yourself, to be real with those around you. Tell your story. Give God glory. And be grateful for the touch of the Master's hand.